Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we focus on OSI's role in sexual assault investigations. And here to discuss this important topic, I'm pleased to be joined by Special Agent Megan McMains, the course director for the Sex Crimes Investigations Training Program at the Special Investigations Academy, Glencoe, Georgia. Megan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get into uh, uh, some specifics about uh, OSI's uh, involvement in sexual assault investigations, let's set the table, shall we, a little bit uh, with your background for our listeners. Uh, now, according to your uh, biography and uh, some uh, uh, bullet points you had sent uh, uh, before we went on the air, uh, you, uh, uh, before you even got to uh, OSI and, and your current position as uh, uh, Sex Crimes Investigations uh, uh, Course Director for the training program there at Glencoe, you uh, uh, had extensive uh, education in the in the arenas of law enforcement, uh, training with Michigan State Police, and so on and so forth. So it's a very uh, uh, eclectic background uh, uh, with your involvement in uh, law enforcement. Can you kind of bring us all up to speed as to uh, all, all, how all that transpired for you and how you got uh, involved uh, with OSI after that? Absolutely. Uh, so I started in law enforcement in 2004. And I was hired by Taylor Police Department in Michigan. It was a city of about 70,000 people. Uh, We had 100 officers on the department. And I worked kind of everything um, on that job. Uh, We had road patrol, accidents, domestic violence, sex assaults, um, theft, drugs. We kind of did a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And I went and I applied for the Downriver Area Narcotics Organization a little bit later in my career in 2009. And I ended up getting picked up by that. That was run by the state police. And they had people from all the different departments uh, work as a task force on this. And I worked as an undercover detective for narcotics. And that really opened my eyes up to the federal side because we worked with DEA and HSI Right. And I actually talked with one of the agents because um, I was considering going federal and mm-hmm. they said, hey, how about OSI? And I hadn't heard of them at that point. Uh, so I actually went and I applied and to go to a job fair right. and I brought my resume and I learned about it. And I was really excited about what I heard. And I ended up getting interviewed and a conditional offer. Uh, and so that's kind of how I started with OSI. Right. I would imagine that uh, your educational background, too, uh, uh, from what I understand, it's uh, Wayne State University in the great state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you got a bachelor's in criminal justice and a bachelor's in psychology. And I would assume those two uh, degrees uh, were very important in uh, uh, kind of uh, opening your eyes, too, as far as uh, uh, the, the uh, importance of education toward getting into uh, the law enforcement area. Absolutely. I, all the education I have received um, has kind of guided me and helped me grow along the way. Uh-huh. Um, and the more that I get, the more understanding I get how to handle different situations in different areas. I see. Now, uh, uh, in some of those areas, too, uh, you mentioned um, that uh, understanding things like biases, uh, learning to listen, and uh, realizing uh, maybe uh, some blind spots that you may have had. Uh, how has uh, uh, that uh, mindset uh, helped you uh, uh, as, as a special agent with OSI? Uh, so when I started with OSI, I, I 
thought, you know, I, I know a lot. I've had some background in law enforcement, but I feel like it wasn't until I went to SCITP, uh, which is a sex crimes uh, investigations training program, that okay. it really opened my eyes up to my own biases. Uh-huh. Um, sitting there kind of having opinions about some of the things um, and being very vocal about what I thought. And then realizing that I was completely wrong and uh-huh. that I wasn't seeing things correctly, that education was critical to my growth. And um, as I learned more about my own biases and the way that they were affecting the way I, I interpreted information that I was receiving and how that worked, uh-huh. I, I recognized that that was something I needed to work on uh, as a law enforcement agent. I see. Yeah, I would imagine that... Uh, uh just being in law enforcement uh, uh, to begin with is an eye-opening experience. And it's, a, I would imagine, a never-ending educational experience, even for yourself as a, someone who's been in law enforcement now for years, both, I guess, on the uh, civilian side and now the uh, federal side. Yeah, it's been great. Um, every time I've gone to a class or done anything, I've very much been inspired by everything that I've learned um, through those classes. And it's been eye-opening for me because I reflect back on my own um, upbringing my own journey in law enforcement and has very much been a journey. I feel like I've grown up since I started in law enforcement, you know, where I started to where I am now, I am not the same person as when I started. And it's evident that uh, uh, just by listening to you, Megan, that uh, you have a real passion for the job as well. This is something that uh, when people get into law enforcement, it's something that they, they really want to do. Would that be a fair assessment? I, I wanted to do this, I think, since I was in second grade. Um, I'm going <laughs> to date myself now, but I used to watch uh, Rescue 911, and I used to watch The Commish, and oh, yeah. I always was interested in law enforcement and helping people and making a difference, and I'm nosy by nature. It's my, it's my natural instinct to want to know more, uh, right. so it, it was a, a good fit for me. Right. Well, uh, I date myself too. I used to watch things like Dragnet and uh, Adam 12. So I can, I'm, I'm right there with you, Megan. <laughs> uh, uh, shifting gears just a little bit uh, to the uh, OSI sexual assault investigations uh, process and whatnot. Uh, every week, uh, PA shops from around the world get uh, a weekly message from uh, uh, the Secretary of the Air Force Public Affairs. And uh, in this past week's message, uh, it did include uh, a prominent uh, uh, point on sexual assault awareness and prevention um, on how uh, the DAF or Department of the Air Force is not tolerating sexual assault or harassment uh, in any form uh, whatsoever. Uh, they also mentioned about April this past month uh, being designated as Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month, which provides an opportunity to emphasize available resources and support for the efforts to uh, 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 that remain a top priority throughout the year. Now, now, in spe- uh, specific terms, and I think this uh, uh, really relates, obviously, to you as the uh, uh, an instructor and course director at Glencoe, uh, the Department of Defense, it says here, is increasing the number of special agents devoted solely to conducting investigations into allegations of interpersonal violence dedicated to finding and rooting out those who would do harm. Now, as I mentioned, as the uh, course director down there, that must be very gratifying for you to know that. The, uh, at the highest levels of Air Force leadership, not only OSI, but Department of the Air Force, uh, uh, more, more bodies are being devoted toward uh, sexual assault investigations. And uh, can you kind of explain how that makes you feel, knowing that uh, uh, the folks at those highest levels recognize the importance of, of this training? 
Uh, I, it makes me think back, you know, my, my prior history in law enforcement is I didn't receive training in these areas as much as I would have liked. Um, and, and when I did get training, the awareness that it brought me in these areas and I ran my cases better, I was more objective and I understood victim behavior, offender behavior, how memory works, all of these things. So I feel like in general for law enforcement, training in these areas is critical. Mm-hmm. Most law enforcement agencies don't have training in intimate partner violence and strangulation. And so now that we recognize this is something that's very important to understand how intimate partner works um, and course of control in the cycle of violence all of these things, um, we want to make sure our agents are given the tools that they need so they can run a good investigation and also understand and put themselves in that victim's shoes and like, what are they going through? What is the process like for them? How do I help guide them through this? Uh-huh. I, I think that is very critical uh, for agents to understand the bigger picture. And the more education we can give in this area, the better our agents are going to be and the more tools that they're going to have when they're in the field. I see. Now, uh, you made a very important point uh, just a second ago as far as uh, having the special agents understand what uh, the people involved in uh, sexual assault are going through. I would imagine that there's a specific mindset that has to be developed uh, uh, to, to place them in the shoes of people uh, who, who go through this, because obviously it's a traumatic experience um, uh, and, and, and they need to know that uh, they have people on their side uh, uh, to help them get through something like this. Well, when we look at victims, some of the things that we don't think about is when they come and report a crime, maybe a sex assault or IPV strangulation or something to that effect, right away, maybe they have the SARC, uh, a sex assault response coordinator, or right. they have family advocacy program, the JA is calling them, OSI is calling them, maybe security forces is calling them. They have a, a DAVA, a domestic violence victim advocate. And all of these people are immediately in their lives and they're impacting them. So if we can just understand too, Hey, they're, they're retelling their story maybe to uh, the, the Samfi, the same nurse um, about what has happened to them than the sex assault. And now they're going to go talk to us. So we need to be able to try to put ourselves in their shoes and have some empathy for what the process is like for them and really listen to them and help guide them along the way. If we can, mystify the process and be there to listen, um, actively listen, really hear them and what they're going through. That's going to make a tremendous difference in the relationship we build and, and the support that they feel. Uh I would imagine uh, another sensitive area is uh, if the subject uh, 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 of the investigation, uh, uh, the predator, if you will, uh, is in, uh, their particular unit, uh, uh, sides may begin to be taking form. Uh, and you mentioned that in your uh, notes that were very important to, to touch on. Can you kind of explain uh, uh, why it's important to, uh, to understand that dynamic of the uh, sexual assault investigation? So I tell my students when we go through this, imagine you're in a unit and, you know, you go to a party and that night, you drink a little bit too much, you wake up the next day, you've been sexually assaulted, you decide to report it, and now everybody is talking about it. They're taking sides. And now all of these people are all of a sudden in your life and your business is out there Uh and everybody's making assumptions and things about you. 
And now you have to go through this long process where you're going to meetings and you're preparing for court. And at the end of the day, you're like, am I doing the right thing? Should I have reported this? All these different emotions and thoughts are going through the minds of our victims. So this is extremely uh, difficult sometimes um, for agents to understand because we're like, we just got to run the case. We got to focus on this, but we need to remember the victim and what are they going through um, and try to understand that there's all these things um, going on in their heads when they come in and to talk to us. So if we can actively listen, if we can um, ask them like, you know, what are you going through? How can we help you? And the great thing now is uh, when I started uh-huh. um, in OSI, we didn't have the special victims council. We didn't have all the things that we have now and resources that we have to support victims through the process. And I think it's amazing that we do. And it makes our jobs as agents, we can focus on the investigation and knowing that we can do a warm handoff to these helping agencies so that victim is taken care of. Very, very well said. Now, uh, uh, I would imagine that uh, completeness in an investigation of this uh, uh, magnitude uh, is very important. Um, and so my next question is, uh, is it how important it is to make sure that uh, uh, important facts are not left out or, or maybe uh, extraneous things are added in to the investigation that might, uh, uh, you know, hurt the, the process uh, of the investigation? I, I think as agents, like we have to follow the facts. And if if the facts aren't adding up, then our our job is to ask the question. And the reality of, you know, sex assault and and some of the things that victims go through, we're going to see them recant. We're going to see them leave parts of the story out. We're going to see them not comfortable or embarrassed or ashamed about saying things to this. I've had cases and so many examples of where things were left out. But at the end of the day, if we can talk with our special victims council or explain like, you know, hey, we know that you you didn't cover this, but this is why it's really important. We need to full story, even if they feel like it's going to make them look bad. So our job as agents is to make them understand and to work with their special victims counsel or the victim advocate kind of through this process. Um, because that's the, the realities of what we see in sex assaults is that uh-huh. it, it is hard sometimes, especially um, maybe uh, a lot of our underage, um, you know, airmen, maybe they were drinking underage and then they were sexually assaulted. And so they are worried about talking about what's happened to them. Um, and they're leaving out the part where, you know, they did get very intoxicated and, and they weren't able to consent. So yeah. we have to figure out what really happened. Um, so I think with us, with agents explaining this in the process and kind of working through it and then working in conjunction with the special victims council saying like through our investigation, these are the things that we found and we're going to need to, you know, bring them back in and clarify some of this stuff. Um, They can help them understand like, Hey, you know, it's important that you give the whole story um, and, and why they should do that. Right now uh, a while back I did a, um, um, uh, an interview 
uh, and a story on uh, uh, cognitive interviewing. And I would imagine that uh, that particular type of, 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 of getting into the, um, the mind of, of the interviewee is so very important. Uh, and as you just said, uh, because uh, they may not uh, say everything right off the bat, but uh, uh, when you have those special interviewing uh, skill sets to, to uh, get it out of them, you, you do get the whole story and it makes uh, your investigation that much more effective, I would guess. Absolutely. I think cognitive interviews are, are critical, um, especially in our uh, substantive interviews of victims, key witnesses, or subjects, um, because what it does is it helps memory recall. And so if we have somebody who's maybe not remembering because of stress or trauma, or they were intoxicated or had something happen to them, uh, it, it's critical for us to kind of take their time and go through each. And what it does is it promotes that memory recall, but it also builds that relationship of trust right. with the person sitting across from you. If, if something, I did something bad or I had something bad happen to me, I'm not going to be open to talking to you unless you build um, a relationship and that trust with that person. And so right. we tell the agents like, it's important to have self-disclosure. It's important to have actively listen and reflect back to them what they're saying. I think everybody has been in a point in their lives where maybe you were saying something that was important to you. And maybe the person you were talking to was just uh, very dismissive and said, okay, well, what about this? And just didn't really hear you. Right, so if we right. didn't really hear them and take their time and go through and we'll get as much information as possible and that one little nugget that maybe they didn't think was important and they tell us maybe that's the difference between, you know, the case being prosecuted or not prosecuted. Right. Um, so the more information we have, the more likely we're going to be able to corroborate that information and, and, you know, show what has happened. Um, so I, I think cognitive interviews are, are critical to our success it's for me amazing because we, we teach cognitive interviewing in the um, sex assault course mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the buy-in that the agent gets is when they get interviewed and they uh, see themselves remembering details that they hadn't thought about. Sure. And they're like, I can't believe it. And you, see, <laughs> you almost see like the light bulb go on. Right. And, and so like the proof is in the pudding, you see it actually working on yourself and you're remembering these things and you're remembering exactly how you felt. And um, we've even had agents like get emotional because it brought them back to that experience. Wow. And what we know also is victims that confront their trauma actually heal better from it in the long run. So we're going to get as much information as possible. They're, they're going to kind of be able to confront it. And then we all, we will do a warm handoff to these supporting agencies to make sure that they're taken care of. Very, very well said. Now, let's uh, shift gears a little bit, shall we, Megan, and uh, uh, talk about interviewing uh, the predator or predators. Um, uh, this must be a – is there a different mindset involved when uh, you're interviewing the, uh, the, the subject or the predator uh, involved in a sexual uh, assault case? I, I try to um, have a similar mindset. If I want that person to tell me the worst thing they've ever done – I need them to have a relationship with me and I need to build trust with them. Um, you can't be judgmental and you have to, you know, understand like 
okay, this person coming in, they've done this really horrible thing. Um, but at the end of the day, their, their lives are not going to continue on the same path, but mine will. So, um, so that for myself is where I focus on, even though I, it does upset me, obviously what they've done. I try to focus on what are they going through and I build that relationship and I listen to them. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you can actually listen, they're typically going to tell you, this is why I did it. So that active listening piece and then utilizing it kind of later on. But what I have found is, um, you know, in these investigations, maybe it's, uh, internet crimes against children right. where we have them coming out, um, you know, to, to meet, uh, we've, you know, a, uh, a child, what I have found is when we interview them and we ask them about, you know, what do you have, what are we going to find on your computer? What kids have you touched that when we are asking that there's always more. Uh-huh. So when we get these, we need to be asking more, not just sure. stick with what we have um, because there's, there's more going on there. Um, so it is, it is, uh, difficult at times. And, you know, I have a young son and so I have to compartmentalize when I'm in an interview with that person and not think about some of these things Right. as it changed me, um, as a mother. Absolutely. Um, I am, I'm much more cognizant of certain situations that, I, you know, as a law enforcement, if I wasn't in law enforcement, I might not be looking at them the same way. Right, right. Yeah, I would imagine uh, you have a different uh, set of glasses on uh, when you're looking through the uh, the uh, law enforcement uh, uh, prism, no doubt about that. Now, uh, you mentioned also in uh, one of your important talking points that uh, um, agents can make an impact on so many people. And, and, and the next sentence, I think, tells a lot uh, when you said, people may not remember everything you said or did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. So uh, I would imagine that uh, your experience within law enforcement uh, has uh, uh, kind of uh, brought that to the forefront for you. It absolutely has. And it wasn't something I necessarily understood as a young law enforcement officer. Um, but I've learned and grown and I understand like how important and critical this is. Um, we, we need to show feeling and um, as, as agents and understand and try to empathize with what people are going through and really listening to them. Um, if we're just all about getting the case done, boom, 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 then we're missing out on maybe some vital things. Right. Um, and we want to make sure that that person feels heard. Uh-huh. And that person feels supported and that they're not walking out of the door thinking they didn't even care about me. That's not right. what we want. Right. I mean, it's, it's so critical that um, that person walks out feeling like OSI, listen, they took all the, you know, the information down and they're going to do their best that they can with, with running this investigation. Right. Um, Okay, uh, very, very good. Uh, now, Megan, you mentioned also a very important thing is uh, wellness when it comes to uh, the agents themselves. Uh, can you explain a little bit about uh, how wellness plays into uh, uh, an agent's uh, perspective uh, for sexual assault investigations? Well, I, I tell my students, um, and I've, I've learned more on this in the last few years, but an empty well gives no water. So if you're going to go into an interview and you have maybe things going on, 
um, or you haven't been sleeping or, you know, you're not taking care of yourself, you're probably not going to be a hundred percent in that interview. So it's really vital that we take care of ourselves. We see stuff and hear stuff um, that a lot of people don't. Right. But that doesn't mean that that thing has to ruin you. Um, it means that you have to learn and grow from it. And, you know, taking care of your your mind and exercising and eating healthy and getting sleep and just talking about it. And and kind of what I think about is I, I when I explain this is, you know, say you're treading water and, right. you know, somebody hands you a one pound brick and you're like working a little bit harder and then you get another one pound brick and another one and another one. If you don't like hand those off, then eventually you're going to go below the surface because you're not taking care of yourself. So it's really critical when you start seeing yourself affected. I've been affected by cases. I've had um, a case right when I got to Okinawa uh, as a new mom where a child had died and I wasn't sleeping good. I kept waking up on checking on my son and I was really stressed out about it and like, Oh, and it, it, it affected me. So recognizing and normalizing, like, it's okay that we all have these points. And, you know, when you go to say a death scene with your unit or something that's really messed up, just sitting about it and talking together, just that alone, like, man, that was really messed up. I can't believe that, you know, just, vocalizing it um, and taking care of and if you see that agent who's isolated or having a hard time saying like hey are you okay Um, that could make all the difference Um, and and I've learned a lot recently about like post-traumatic growth Mm -hmm. um, which is basically you know just because we go through trauma doesn't mean that we're going to be ruined we can actually come out even better on the, the other side Right. Right, It's confronting it and talking about it and learning from it, um, which is really, really important. Right. Well, as they say, uh, special agents are people, too, Megan. (laughs) You can you can you can attest to that. Hey, uh, uh, Megan, uh, do you have any uh, last words uh, before we uh, wrap things up uh, on this edition? Um, I would say just for for those agents that are starting, um, one thing that I've really learned um, as challenge yourself to do things outside of your comfort zone. Um, for me, I wasn't a fan of, uh, public speaking and now I'm teaching and I have to do it all the time. Um, so now you're on a a podcast too. And now I'm on a podcast. (laughs) So, and that's out of my comfort zone, but, um, to really learn and grow, we have to get out of our comfort zone and the rewards that you will get, um, if you can get out of that comfort zone, it's, it's going to be well worth it. Very well said, Megan. Very well said. Our guest has been Special Agent Megan McMains, the course director for the Sex Crimes Investigations Training Program at the Special Investigations Academy, Glencoe, Georgia. Megan, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. It was great to chat with you. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now. <laughs>